You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 191. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show is my co-host, Pontus Böckman. See ya. Hello, hello. I mean, hey, son, hey, son. Oh, How yeah. are you? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Bit stressed for time today, maybe? Uh, yes. Sorry about, sorry about yep. that. To, to tell our listeners the truth, we almost had Yelena as well on, um, but um, due to my crazy schedule before I go on a tour, I'm afraid I could not start earlier and she was otherwise occupied. So um, ah, it's terrible. So this time it's going to be me accompanying Pontus and probably the next time it will be done without me because I'll be in Italy uh, with a very, very poor internet connection and availability yeah, to right. internet. So... But terrible, terrible. How are mm-hmm. you? How are you? I'm fine. I went to see Brian Cox. Oh, good I saw for Brian you. Cox in Copenhagen. Uh, so it was one of the skeptics, one of the Copenhagen skeptics, I should say. Hi, Christian. Hello. He had a ticket to the show and it was sold out, but he couldn't go. So uh, I got the chance. I took his ticket. Well, I paid for it and uh, it was really, really good. I'm not sure that Brian Cox said anything specific that I hadn't heard before, but somehow it felt like I came away from it all with a deeper sense of understanding. It's very mm-hmm. poetic. Just to listen to Brian Cox saying, the galaxies flows like snowflakes yeah, in it's the worth space it. of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't do Brian Cox, but that's stupid to try. But but you know what I mean? It, it, it's really, really well done. Good visual effects yeah. too, with an animated... Uh, simulations of black holes and stuff and uh robin Inns was there as well of course always a blast they seem inseparable <laughs> yeah they complement each other very very well so uh, it's a very good um, and they seem to be very good friends and it comes through as well the show is called adventures in time and space so if, if you have a chance to see it i highly recommend it mm-hmm. all right so since I am a follower of uh, the Infinite Monkey Cage, I, yeah, I am me too. Yeah. I am a little bit envious. But then, yeah, well, these experiences are. I'm not saying that they're life changing or anything because, uh, as you said, they don't necessarily say things that you haven't heard yet. Mm. But still, the familiarity, that sense of belonging to this, I would have said circle, but it sounds sounds a little bit. <laughs> religious and, and i don't want it don't want it to sound like that yeah but still yeah, yeah it's nice interestingly enough uh, brian cox said how many listen to the the infinite monkey cage and a lot of the audience uh, cheered and applauded and he said that's funny when i get abroad it's more people who've heard about yeah. the, that show than when i do it in the uk I yeah but i think it's because when he goes abroad he probably attracts more of a select kind of audience. Yeah, yeah, it's the geeks. He's well known in the UK for other stuff as well, but perhaps outside the UK, he's he's mostly known for this kind of work that he does. But it's pretty good that he could go. Yeah, it was nice. I, I didn't plan it, so it was a very spur of the moment thing. So it was fine. What have you been up to then? Oh, Anders? I've been fighting um, um, viruses and uh, bacteria as well. 
Okay. Yeah, uh, I don't know if, if uh, <laughs> you can hear it on my voice, but um, I've been coughing my head off the last couple of days. Yeah. I managed to I managed to catch a cold in Scotland, where I was for my last tour. That's mm-hmm. where I I recorded the interview with uh, Richard Wiseman. With Richard. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Oh, the, the the guy was so amazing. I really loved every moment I spent in his company. And he was he was very mm-hmm. generous with his time. He was kind enough to invite me to his home in Edinburgh. And yeah, and he was lovely. And I really hope that everyone enjoyed the interview because I enjoyed every moment of recording. Well, well I did, if, for one, yeah. Yeah, and um, I'm full of all kinds of ideas of how to make his work a bit more widespread and well-known in Hungary because even though there are a couple of books that have been translated to Hungarian um, Mm -hmm. of his books I think four of them so far I'm really hoping for this one to get translated as well because I think it's well worth it Mm -hmm. have you read the book no I haven't had a chance yet but I will I will yeah I do recommend it to everyone it's I think there are a couple of points there that we could use in the skeptic movement as well Mm-hmm. So a lot of the time that we spend trying to figure out how to tackle the issues that we come across, we get stopped by our very own, I would say, inhibitions. Like we build ourselves inhibitions. We, we build ourselves all the, the... I think we set too high standards for ourselves, right? We We want everything we say to be exactly correct and balanced and and maybe we that holds us back yeah and a lot lot of the time it uh, results in us not doing anything Mm. i remember i had been planning to start a podcast for years before we started doing this podcast Mm. but then that thought came to me i realized what i wanted to do uh this european focused kind of thing and yeah when we were chatting about that you and me first i think it was absolutely clear what the idea was hmm. i felt like if we don't when when we agreed to do it i think <laughs> I, I don't know if you remember I, how I, I remember it we even said it out loud that if we yeah, don't yeah. start doing it now we won't do it at all yeah because Just now it, we have it. the momentum now we agreed to do it that's when you need to get on it and just get it done <laughs> Yeah, as Richard Wiseman would put it, shoot for the moon. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But one of my favorite moments, and it's mentioned in the interview as well, at some point, I think it was the project director or someone, who said that when people wanted to get more and more tests and wanted to be more sure of everything going well, that, guys, if you want to go to the moon, at some point, we need to go to the moon. And that's that sums it up very clearly. Okay, whatever. So now I'm trying to apply the same uh, kind of attitude to my fight against um, all the bugs. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. I hope hope I will succeed. But we do have a show. Unfortunately, we do not have Yelena. So it won't be a complete show, I mean, with all the different segments. But we do have uh, many things to talk about. So why don't we crack on with that? In the absence of Yelena, this week in skepticism will be skipped. However, I'm pretty sure that you have something to poke the Pope for, Pontus. Ah, you bet I do.
Yes, so it's exciting times for Francis and the church. And this week, it's all about the now ongoing synod about the Amazon, taking place the 6th to the 29th of October, so basically all of October in Rome. And a synod is a gathering of bishops called by the Pope to work out some problem or other. As we're recording this, it's a little too early to report on any developments, but the setup is very interesting and intriguing. It's a whole soap opera of its own that includes uh, accusations of heresy, married priests, missionaries in the jungle, and just generally an approach towards indigenous people in the Amazon that wouldn't have been misplaced in the 1800s. So strap in. Mm-hmm. There will be more than one topic on the agenda for the Synod, but the main controversy that's already surfacing is this question. Is it okay for the Catholic Church to allow married priests in the Amazon? And and let's be clear, this is not at all driven by a desire to modernize the church. It's not meant to be a, a change of any doctrine outside the remote areas of the Amazon. If allowed, it would be applied only in the Amazon, which it seems the Catholic Church regards as a primitive, unfortunate and hopelessly forsaken place that is in desperate need of salvation. Okay. The problem, yeah, that that's how modern they are. <laughs> the problem <laughs> the problem from the church's point of view, the problem that they're trying to solve is it's very hard to maintain Catholicism in the Amazon due to the lack of local clergy. They don't have enough priests. And if you don't have enough priests, you can't hand out the holy wafers. So the local population then is being deprived of their holy sacrament and that puts their souls in danger. And that, that's really how they see it. A Brazilian Cardinal Claudio, and I'm going to butcher this, Claudio Humes, or H-U-M-M-E-S. I'm just going to call him Cardinal Claudio because my Portuguese isn't good enough to understand how that's supposed to be pronounced. So Cardinal Claudio is the key organizer of this synod, and he said, and I quote, The church lives in the Eucharist, and the Eucharist builds the church. And this is apparently a quote from John Paul II. Mm -hmm. So, So the Eucharist is so important that the church would like to appoint more priests in the region to solve this problem, to hand out the crackers. But here's the issue. It's very hard to find local leaders and prominent men in the Amazon, apparently. And and of course, it's men. We're only talking about men. Men that are not married and have a family. So I I guess in the eyes of the church, the bloody savages all have families. Well, who would have thought? And when I say savages, I'm I'm talking for the Vatican, not not for myself, of course. So you're not calling them savages yourself? Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. not, but I can read between clear, the lines. Yeah. Is that's how the Vatican is looking at it? So the fact that all the local men there are married currently disqualifies them for being priests. So people cannot get their holy crackers. Now, the idea of allowing married priests has been met by allegations of heresy and blasphemy by a lot of the cardinals. Some of them seem scared to death about breaking this tradition, which, by the way, originated in the medieval times, not with early Christianity. Isn't that right, Andras? Well, I think it's somewhere probably 4th century, but I don't know of it off, off the top of my head. 
I know. All right, but I don't think that Jesus ever said anything about the, the, no. that it's not no. that it's not allowed to be no, married. No, no, no. I think no, no, that no. came later. That's for sure. Yeah. That's for sure. So it's the the church was already an established organization when it was decided on. I think it was in you know, one of the councils, but I'm I don't remember which one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So we can't have that. We can't have married priests. That's the that's the bottom line in the current Catholic tradition. So Claudio who is organizing this synod, uh, describes the people of the Amazon as children of God too. Big surprise, they're almost human. And that before the arrival of Catholicism, God, and I quote Claudio again, communicated with them in some mysterious way, end quote. But now the Catholic Church has the need for, and this is a new quote from Claudio, enculturating the Christian faith within the indigenous traditions, end quote. I, I, I read this as, yeah, yeah, God has always been present for these people, but now when we, the civilization, are there, we must educate them from their old superstitious ways and teach them how it's really done. So that sounds really progressive. Mm-hmm. Mm. So now, where does Francis stand in all of this then? That's, that's the big question. Well, he's already been attacked for allowing this question to be discussed. The idea of married priests have been described as, and I quote, a triple attack on marriage, celibacy and priesthood by one Brazilian bishop. But the beauty here for for Francis is that he has a choice. The synod has free hands to hash this out best as they can. And afterwards, Francis has the right to ignore the results and the recommendations coming out of the synod. Or if everything seems fine and it seems acceptable to do so, he can choose to write what is called an apostolic exhortation, which is a letter confirming the findings of the synod. But he doesn't have to do that. So he can calmly wait out the big fight and then pick a side when it's all over, depending on how the wind blows. So that's where we are. But then there's one more thing I want to mention. The results of the synod will be decided by vote, and there will be both bishops and experts present, so they can all vote. But guess what? 35 of those experts happen to be women, and they will not get to vote. Francis has approved that the experts will take part in the final voting, as well as the bishops, but of course only the ones who has a dick. No dickless voting, please. This is the bloody Vatican. Well, some of them are real dicks. So. <laughs> well put, sir. We have to be a dick to be in the Vatican. Yeah. Yep. So that's uh, this week's poking of the Pope. All right. Thank you very much, Pontus. The Pope has been deservedly poked. We will now move on to discussing a couple of news items from across Europe. And um, always my favorite thing to talk about what's going on in Italy. <laughs> Our good friend Massimo Polidoro, whom Massimo. Uh, we could hear two or three episodes ago. Was it? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, it wasn't too, too long ago. Yeah, two, two episodes. I when, I, when I recorded an, an interview with him right after Chicap Fest, which is possibly the single most successful skeptical and scientific event in Europe. I'm not sure about that, but it must be pretty much up there. So, Massimo, as he does, just published a new book. <laughs> but didn't you say that just surprise, a couple of months surprise. ago? Well, what, what's going on? 
Is he uh, writing a new book every week? Or well, what's going well, on? well, he keeps writing them, and it's unbelievable. This pace is just difficult to to keep up with. The book is titled Il Mondo Sotto Sopra, which means the upside down world. Mm-hmm. It will be out on the 29th of October, so very, very soon. Obviously, in Italian, but I'm hoping that as some of his books, uh, this will be translated into other languages. And uh, if someone knows about a new translation, please let us know so that we can report on it. So this book is about the most common things that appeared since the age of nonsense has come, and it specifically focuses on the post-truth era, Mm -hmm. where everything that we come across is difficult to assess, and uh, who who knows what's true and what, what isn't. And there is a selection of different stories, different hoaxes, different idiocies like uh, the, the one that's uh, the, the anti-vaccination movement and uh, he uh, talks about UFOs as well and uh, even Greta Thunberg is among the topics and her movement is among the topics. But it's not only the book that he started. You probably remember the Strane Storie series of videos. Uh, he, he did a couple of them in English as well. And The Stranger Stories was the title of the series. Now he's starting a new series. So it's a series of videos on YouTube. And uh, the title is um, Il Complotto col Quotidiano. And he focuses on the conspiracy theories with that. It, it basically translates into English as uh, the daily conspiracy. This is what the book uh, focuses on as well. Uh, these different issues from a conspiracy theory point of view. So those conspiracy theories that surround these topics and issues are discussed in the book. And now he does the video, the YouTube video series to complement the book. It sounds really good, and as usual, they are very nicely done, they are very nicely produced, very clearly explained. So he's he's a very engaging speaker, he, he speaks very clearly and, and very nicely to, to the audience. So uh, I do recommend it to everyone who speaks Italian. I don't know yet, we will definitely ask him if it will come out in English as well at some point. Or will he do an English version of this series as well as he did with the other? But so far, it's only in Italian. But it's a it's a it's a good thing that that it's out there. Oh, okay, great! Congratulations, Massimo! Yet another book. Did it's it probably again. the twenty seventh or something. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. No. Um, now that I mentioned uh, Greta Thunberg, though, did, did I butcher her name? Yes. Okay. Sorry. So, could you say no, it for me? <laughs> could you say it for me, please? Greta Thunberg. Thunberg. That was very good. Okay. Yes. Greta Thunberg. <laughs> okay. So, why Massimo must have chosen her as one of the topics as well, uh, for, the, for the video series at least, is because her character... And since she she started her movement and her first demonstrations, and now it's a global movement, uh, Fridays for Future, and she's she's doing an amazing job, and it's unbelievable the amount of controversy that surrounds her character. And one would think that people would not attack 
a child who's asking for a clear and good future for themselves. But apparently that's not the case. So all kinds of different attacks she's exposed to. And uh, Pointer, you know, one of the fact-checking organizations, they listed a couple of those different attacks and categorized them based on how they operate. For example, they made up a category of ad hominem attacks. Obviously, there are a couple of issues that she's had. She's on the autism spectrum, and she had a very difficult start in her life. Even though her parents are all supportive, she's had real issues in a social environment. And now that she found her purpose, she thrives running mm-hmm. running through with this. But then some people don't understand how this works and some people are so afraid of seeing something so different and something so not understandable for them that uh, obviously a lot of hoaxes, a lot of, a lot of different misconceptions surround her character and her movement. So they say that it's just a PR stunt, that she doesn't really mean it, that she, in, in the United States there is, there is even one that says she's a child actress and it's all just a performance <laughs> and uh, she's she's one of the highest paid activists in the world and there is one category corrective which is a, a german fact checking organization they debunked that claim of of it being just a pr stunt though and the guardian took on a couple of uh, other cases as well it's interesting because these ad hominem attacks, they are based on her being on the autism spectrum, based on her being basically a child. However, she's not a child. She's a teenager. She's 16. So she's almost an adult. And even though she looks a bit underdeveloped because of her previous issues and eating disorders in her period of life, that was probably the most crucial for her corporal development it's terrible how many different ways uh, people find to attack her but there are other false photos of her as well now people are faking Mm. photos of Greta Thunberg one of my favorite is actually when I think it was a photo an original photo of her posing with Al Gore and Al Gore we all know is one of the greatest advocates of acting on climate change but someone replaced Al Gore with George Soros Mm. just to spread the idea that she's being funded by George Soros. So this is this is a basis for the idea that, that she's the highest paid activist in the world. Mm. Well, I don't think it could be uh, further from the truth. There are other ways of, of uh, people trying to discredit her and her movement. And uh, some people claim that because she's a child, she cannot know enough to be an advocate for action against climate change. But I don't think that is a valid argument. People who are activists, they're not the experts. The experts are too busy being experts. They cannot be activists as well. So activism is a different action. It's a different job. Uh, yeah, so I mean, she, she says all the time, don't listen to me, listen to, listen the, to the science. To the experts. Yeah, listen to the experts. Exactly. So what mm. she says is not more than try to ask for more attention to the experts and more attention to the science of it and take action because it's what we all lack 
in, in our lives as well. We don't do anything to tackle climate change, but the decision makers, the, the, the politicians who have the power to do so, they do even less. They just keep having conferences and agreeing to do something in the future, but nothing right now and right here. So she's, she's quite right. And when she met up with, uh, with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, they had a very interesting conversation, according to some news outlets at least, and according to the Prime Minister himself. Imagine that, that the Prime Minister felt a little bit anxious before the, the actual chat that they had. Her personality is such that you can make you feel guilty and and anxious because mm-hmm. of that. And that's what yeah. we want politicians to feel. Yeah. Right. Because the science doesn't make them feel like that. It's very good to have a person like Greta Thunberg to do that for us. And her followers. And there are millions of her followers now. And I hope that the number of those will be growing exponentially. Because that that's what we need. There are so many different ways that people try to attack them, but I think she knows exactly what's going on. And uh, I like the way that that she reacts to those attacks. I'm pretty sure that that she has all the support uh, from the family and the friends and and all the other organizers of, of the movement. But what she said, and it's a quote, we've become too loud for people to handle, so people want to silence us. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So I think the reason for going after her is very much driven by envy, really. If you take, you know, the average white middle-aged man like I am, by the way, say you've been looking for recognition and perhaps fame all your life, and right or wrong, you believe that you have, you're worth some attention and you want people to listen to you because you think yeah. you're smart and you deserve it. And then out of nowhere comes this kid, this little girl, <laughs> and she says things that are really not very complicated at all. She just says, listen to the science. And then suddenly she gets all the attention that you feel that you should have had instead because you're so much smarter and you're older and you're entitled. And she sort of steals your fame and you can't really find anything wrong with what she says. So you can't talk about that. So all you have left is to attack her as a person. Yeah. She said, how dare you in the UN? But you are thinking... How dare you steal my thunder and you come up with all of these things that yeah. don't actually matter at all. Like she must have a big PR be- team behind her and she clearly cannot have written this speech herself. And so what if she did? What if she did have a PR team? She doesn't. She doesn't. But what if? And what if she didn't write her speech herself? Doesn't matter because what she says is still true. And yeah. deep down, you know it, and it makes you mad because you want that attention that she's getting. I think that's a lot of what's behind. Why, yeah, but why the, but then then again, her. there there is a, a massive difference between attitudes of of mm-hmm. different people. So like one person praises her for st- standing up, and uh, even people who have that attitude that you'd started out with, that mm-hmm. wanting some fame and and longing to be heard and all that stuff, not necessarily against her. So I think it requires a certain level of maturity as well, intellectually yes. and emotionally. A lot of people who are just there because they want to shine in the limelight. Yeah, you're not there for the right mm. reasons, guys. So just... No, exactly. exactly. <laughs> All right. Right. New topic then. Okay. <laughs> totally new topic. No no segue. The liberal Swedish center party, 
which is actually what they're called, Centerpartiet. Okay. You can even understand it, Center Party. They have had their yearly convention. They had it last weekend, and as usual, they debated internally to decide what the party line should be in a number of questions and what issues they should drive. Among a lot of things, and after a long debate, they decided that the party should work for banning religious circumcision of children, of male children then. Of course, that immediately created a lot of criticism from the Jewish organizations in Sweden who were condemning it as religious persecution and and so on. It didn't end there because, interestingly, the day after, the party leader, Annie Löv, went out in the media to tell everyone to relax because she and the rest of the party leadership would just ignore that decision in their work going forward. Which is, of course, in itself outrageous because the convention's function is to instruct the leadership what issues the party shall pursue. So now they have an internal mess in the, in the party and I don't know how they will solve it. Anyway, the topic is interesting and I wholeheartedly agree that any surgical intervention on babies which are not medically justified and that also alters their bodies in irreversible ways are not defensible. It's indefensible. You can't do that. Uh, Also, it's not safe because even if it usually goes well, well, if done by medical professionals, it sometimes do not go well or does not go well and can lead to permanent damage and it happens sometimes. I don't care what your God tells you. You have no right to take that risk without consent. And children cannot consent legally. And especially infants cannot consent. If you're an adult, that's totally different. If you're old enough, you're allowed to take your own decisions. So how do you feel about this, uh, Andras? Oh, that's... Well... (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to relate to it, but uh, yeah, no, I don't think it. Anything like this should be done before someone grows up and can make a decision, because a child, especially at the age that it happens, cannot give consent. Obviously, no. So, and there's always it's like a religion risk. itself. It should be with the child, with yeah. with the person's yeah. consent. Right. It's it's like indoctrination. You do something mm-hmm. to the child, but I, I'm even against piercing a, a child's ears. It's not the mm-hmm. child, the child's decision, right? At what age? I'm, I'm, as mean? a baby. Uh, but but does that happen? It does, yeah. Yeah, I'm against it. it. Does. Yeah, I do. I, I agree. I'm against it. But does it happen? It does, well, yeah. Well, maybe yeah. it does. Yeah, yeah. The only thing, but I, I do understand the dilemma in a way, because I have to be honest here as well. If you ban these circumcisions that today are made legally under controlled circumstances in a hospital. And if you make them illegal, then since it's so deeply held within the religion, it will continue to happen, but in a basement somewhere performed by a quack or or somebody religious. It it is a problem, but I don't know. I I still think uh, ban it. I I don't think it's justified. No, I know. Don't uh, do it. It's not like... You asked for my opinion, mm-hmm. so I gave you my opinion about the circumst- circumcision itself. But I agree that banning it is not the the right answer. It's like um, it's not the first 
action you should take. You should start with something else, and maybe eventually you come to the banning. Yeah, yeah my problem is that it's it should be a secular issue. However, it cannot mm. be because it's religion-based, mm. the act of circumcision itself. I do know that there are indications to do that for, for different uh, conditions. However, usually it's religiously triggered. Almost always. So almost, almost always. always right? But yeah, I, I agree that uh, if it's banned, it will generate all kinds of different issues that have not been there before. It's the same, yeah. same thing with the burqa. So which one is more important, the religious freedom or some kind of other social concept that we need to make sure that it's, it works? Yeah. That's an interesting question. The difference is that you can take off the burqa if you change your mind. Yeah, you cannot. You cannot. Yes, re, yeah, the foreskin, uh, foreskin uh, cannot be redone, re, re, put, put back. Yeah, obviously. No, don't try that at home. <laughs> <laughs> that will not work. <laughs> yeah, with sticky tape, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, duct tape works for for everything. Oh, duct tape works but, because because uh, oh, it's uh, yeah, it it glues everything <laughs> together. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, if it doesn't work with duct but, tape, uh, pff, it it won't work. <laughs> yeah, and then you have the other thing, which is a, a a thing maybe not about religion but about democracy. Should a leader of a political party say that I will just ignore what you decided yesterday because I'm the boss? Maybe it's for a different podcast. I don't know. Oh yeah. Well, talking about bands and um, compulsory things, mm-hmm. the flu season is upon us. So uh, there are recommendations popping up here and there that we should all get our flu shots. Obviously, when this happens, it is followed by all the conspiracy theories that it's just a massive conspiracy by the, the pharmaceutical industry that they want to sell all the flu shots and everything. But then comes WHO, the WHO, and uh, they come out with recommendations as well. And I don't know if our listeners remember, but at the beginning of the year, WHO, the World Health Organization, published the 10 threats to global health in 2019 list. Mm -hmm. Two very important things from public health point of view is, um, first of all, the vaccine hesitancy. So that people who do have access to vaccines, they refuse to vaccinate their children for for all kinds of different reasons. One of the things is obviously the anti-vax movement, which is gaining more and more strength all over the world. However... They do point out that a global influenza pandemic can be a global threat as well to public health. There are 153 institutions in 114 countries monitoring the status of the influenza virus and the circulation of influenza viruses. It's very important. However, we do know with the flu shot, even if it's not uh, the perfect strain, it's not necessarily the same that your body will meet and uh, your your body will have to fight. But if you get the flu shot, your body will be much more likely to succeed in defeating the virus. So that's usually close enough. However, more and more people say that you can get the influenza by getting the vaccine, which is... Uh, it's an inactive virus that you get Mm. with the flu shot, that means that you will not get the disease itself, but your immune system will be shown what it needs to fight. 
that's how it works. So basically, these inactive strains of the flu virus cannot cause flu, but can help you actually fight the real flu when you as an organism come across it and need to fight it. So the more people get the flu vaccine, the flu shot, the better we're off, globally, I mean, as a species, fighting it. So, Mm. yeah. Have you got your flu shot yet? Well, if you're asking me, I haven't. But as an organism, I am now scheduling my uh, next shot immediately. Good. Good, good, good. So so am (laughs) I. So am I. All right, that's uh, the, the the recommendation of the WHO, and and the ESP actually, and the ESP yeah. as well. Yeah, we usually yes. try to refrain from giving advice on health related issues, but vaccination is something that uh, we should all be in support of. Yep. All right. With all that said, I think we need to move on, and. I'm pretty sure that you, Pontus, have found someone or something that was really wrong out there. Oh, I have. Our listeners may have seen the news about an open letter called the European Climate Declaration. Have you? Do you recognize that, Anders? Uh, no. Maybe not. It's getting the uh, the round. So, the the title of this letter is. There is no climate emergency. And it's oh. signed by, fi- <laughs> by, quote, 500 scientists and professionals. And it's addressed to the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres. The letter was published on the 23rd of September, but there is also a group of six scientists that have published a thorough breakdown of the letter on the site called climatefeedback.org. And uh, as we can expect, there are so many problems with the letter. I thought it was worth going through some of it and and to post the link, because this letter is now being referred to by climate change deniers all over the place, and it can be very good to have some of the arguments at hand. And I should say that the the credit for these arguments, the counter-arguments, should go to the scientists at climatefeedback.org and not to me. So first, we can start with who actually have signed the letter. It says that it was signed by, quote, a global network of more than 500 knowledgeable and experienced scientists and professionals, end quote. Now, normally, as the climate feedback scientists point out, the validity of an argument shouldn't depend on who makes it. But if you use that phrase, 500 knowledgeable and experienced scientists and professionals, that becomes part of the argument. So it's reasonable to have a, a little of a look into the credentials of these people. It turns out that only 10 of the 506 signatures belong to people identifying themselves as climate scientists. Mm-hmm. Four others say that they are meteorologists. A lot of uh, the other academic fields represented were geologists, engineers... And some of those were with ties to fossil fuel producers, by the way. And there was also physicists, chemists and mathematicians. 57 of the signatures came from business executives, writers, activists and lobbyists. So when you say that there are 500 scientists signing this letter, 
yeah, but with what credentials do they come? And uh, some of them, uh, quite a lot of them, were actually non-scientists. So that's who signed the, the letter. But what about their arguments? I will go through the most important ones, but I will also then link to climatefeedback.org so you can read all the detailed answers. One quote from the letter is that Earth's climate has varied as long as the planet has existed with natural cold and warm faces, end quote. Another quote is then that the Little Ice Age ended as recently as 1850. Therefore, it is no surprise that we are now experiencing a period of warming. Yes. So the reply to this is that there have been fluctuations in the climate before. But that doesn't mean or prove that this one is not man-made. And yes, as expected, there was a rebound in the temperature from the Little Ice Age. But that rebound effect was already over by 1900. That's, that's about a hundred years ago. So the climate models say that the temperatures would have gone down again after that if it hadn't been for the increase in greenhouse gases. So that's one thing. Another quote is that only a few peer-reviewed papers even go so far as to say that recent warming is chiefly anthropogenic. And anthropogenic means man-made. But that's not true, actually. The climate change models clearly show the effect of man-made greenhouse gases. And in many studies, if the term anthropogenic is not mentioned explicitly, it's because it's, it's not controversial. It's already established. You don't have to say it's man-made because it's in the premise of the whole paper. Then the letter goes on to say that warming is slower than predicted and therefore the models are not correct. Also, this is not true. Estimates on how much the temperature will rise at the doubling of CO2 have been very stable over the years. There was a landmark study from 1988 and it has proved to be very accurate. The only prediction issue that has been is to foresee how much the CO2 emissions will increase. And that's, of course, a different matter. But the effects of CO2 in the atmosphere, those effects are not uh, disputed. Then there is another quote from the letter. And it says, In addition, climate models ignore the fact that enriching the atmosphere with CO2 is beneficial. This is actually something I heard myself just a couple of weeks ago uh, by just some guy that I talked to. <laughs> the, the letter goes on to say, that, quote, additional CO2 in the, in the air has promoted growth in global plant biomass. It's also good for agriculture because it increases the yields of crops worldwide. Well, the rebuttal to this is that carbon cycles are part of the models, including the positive effects of CO2 on plants is common in these models. So that's false. It is recognized that the increase in the CO2 levels do have some benefits, but it doesn't outweigh the negative effects. The effects on agriculture of CO2 is more negative than positive in most regions. I mean, there are always local advantages somewhere. You can grow something that wasn't possible to be grown before, but uh, in general, this is taken into account. And then... The, the last thing is the letter goes on to deny that there's been an increase in floods and droughts, which the models predict, and that's wrong too. But I, but I don't think I should uh, 
go on and, and try to cite all the rebuttals. Uh, we will put the link in the show notes and let the listeners click on that to, to read the full thing. So um, don't don't buy this. Uh, there is this letter out, and I think it's fairly new, and I think it's making the rounds on the internet, saying that uh, 500 scientists and professionals are saying that climate change is not an emergency. We should we we shouldn't believe anything, <laughs> really. It, it's just not true. And I think this the the guys on uh, climatefeedback.org have have made a very good effort to counter all those arguments. End of rant. <laughs> so for not understanding the science or possibly being deliberately misleading, the so-called Climate Intelligence Foundation, led by Dutch professor Gus Berkut, and I don't care if I mispronounce that. <laughs> <laughs> gets the day's prize for being really wrong. And at the same time, I'd like to give a really right award to climatefeedback.org for defending science. Here, here. Thank you very much, Pontus. Mm-hmm. And actually, I've been thinking a lot lately about how humanity can manage because we are hardwired to hold on to our stupid beliefs and try to maintain the status quo, even though the science that we created for ourselves to avoid those misconceptions and try to avoid our mistakes, we still hold on to our silliness. And uh, (laughs) sometimes I just have the feeling that uh, the easiest thing would be to just push the reset button. Mm. And you know, it's not only me who says that. Even Sir David Attenborough said that. Once he said, if we disappeared overnight, he meant humans, the world would probably be better off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that will be our quote for today. (laughs) (laughs) We're the plague of the planet, really. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's going back to this climate change thing. I I think it's good to have the counter argument summarized. Yes. Like they have in the website. I agree. But we shouldn't be holding on to things so heavily when the science is so clear. We should be acting on it and not debating everything. We keep debating, debating, yeah. debating to such large extremes that we fail to act. It's not only about climate change. There are a lot of other things. Yeah, It's the same with uh, vaccination. It's the same with with healthcare issues and global health issues. Is it really necessary to debate that freaking condoms can not only be used as contraceptive, but also help us stop the, the spreading of certain sexually transmitted diseases? No, we keep, we keep debating that with the church, and hmm. we shouldn't. We should... Give everyone a fucking condom. More than one, to be honest. More than one, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, anyway, I've, I've got a proper quote from uh, Sir David Attenborough to close the show with. Okay, uh, Sir David Attenborough, I think he's known by everyone. He's a British naturalist and, and television presenter. He's been doing that for, I think, almost 70 years. The quote is, It seems to me that the natural world is the greatest source of excitement, the greatest source of visual beauty, the greatest source of intellectual interest. It is the greatest source of so much in life that makes life worth living. Woo. Yeah. 
We just need to pay attention to it and we just need to listen to science, what it has to yeah. say about the natural world. And it's very alarming what it has to say. So Actually, here's the science, here's the nature, and here's the humanity that I hope will at some point learn how to listen to science. So thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you, Andra, for joining me today. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Bye-bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Yes! So there are... What happens? Sorry, when I said let's hear it, Siri thought that I was asking someone. Let's hear it, for some reason, to my phone, sounded like, hey Siri. Oh! (laughs) And he did it again. Okay, whatever. This time it was right.